We wish to welcome you today. Our topic is the latter rain, when God does something great in these last days. During the last few meetings, I've been telling you stories from my homeland of Australia. Some weeks ago, I told you the story of our days when we came out of Avondale, Avondale College and went to a little town in the Midwest by the name of Parks. That's where David was born. And I told you the story of old Mr. Draper and how he bought a farm, accepted Christ, made a covenant with God to tithe, and how God tremendously blessed him. And that story has blessed a lot of people, I've been told. Today I want to tell you the story of another family that became very close to our hearts. Daisy and Les Ward. They were owners of a great big sheep and wheat farm. And when I get to heaven, I'm going to have a sheep and a wheat farm because I think it's the best way to live. At this stage in their lives, one day, a Saturday afternoon or sometime, they turned on television and there they got a person who was a dear friend of mine, one of the great leaders of the church, Pastor George Vanderman. It was the time of, of shearing. They were shearing their sheep, and Mrs. Ward was in charge of all the shearers and cooking the meals, but she had a terrible case of high blood pressure. She thought she was going to blow a valve. And as she watched Pastor Vanderbilt and as she started to read the Bible, a calming influence came into her life, and she was healed amazingly. Then I visited, Beverly and I visited her, these folks became so close to us, and we think of them with so much love today. And after they were baptized, they had already planted the wheat. And before the wheat goes in, of course, they wait for the early rains. And the rains nourish the wheat. But my friend, there is no harvest unless you have the latter rains. So you've got to have the early rains and you've got to have the latter rains. That year in parks, it was a terrible drought, terrible heat, lots of flies. David was just a little baby. Our place was not air conditioned and I can remember the searing temperatures. Beverly will never forget those long, hot, dry summer days. All of the creeks in the area dry, dried up all dried up, there was no water. The dams, the reservoirs dried up and you were not allowed to wash your car, you were only allowed to take enough water to drink and to wash your body. Australians are not exactly a religious people because they think that most religion is sort of just a fraud. So most Australians have been inoculated against religion. But nevertheless, the nation had her day of prayer, a national day of prayer and fasting and repentance that God would break the drought. And the churches were filled. And there came a little rain. I remember Mrs. Ward told me their crops were just about finished and there came a little rain and we rejoiced at church the next Sabbath. And then when it appeared as though the crops were going to be Blighted by the east wind, there came a little more rain. And then as the people prayed, there came more rain. And finally there came, I remember, the sky black and heavy and the roar of the thunder and the flash of the lightning and the drought was broken and the harvest was saved. The latter rain came, the harvest was saved. Today, I'm going to talk about the latter rain, when the harvest is saved. Take your Bible, please, and turn with me to an ancient prophecy in the book of Joel, chapter 2, verse 23 and 24. Those who are visitors here today, I want to encourage you to take your Bible. This is a church that believes in the Word of God. Joel, chapter 2, and verse 23 and 24. Joel, chapter 2, and Joel means Jehovah is God. Yahweh is God. Joel chapter 2, verse 23 and 24. Be glad, O people of Zion, 
Rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the autumn rains in righteousness. The King James Version says he's given you the early rains. He sends you abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains, the early and the latter rains as before. The threshing floors will be filled with grain. The vats will overflow with new wine and oil. The Bible says that God is going to send his people the early rain and God is going to send his people the latter rain and there's going to be a mighty harvest. Would you please notice verse 28 and onwards of the same chapter. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. This prophecy has been fulfilled, but this prophecy is going to be consummated in these last days. The Bible talks about the outpouring of the Spirit of God. We should think about this for a moment. The Spirit of God. What is the Spirit of God? Or more correctly, who is the Spirit of God? The Bible teaches the doctrine of of the Trinity. I'm a Trinitarian. Jesus said, go and baptize them in the name of the Father, not the names. The name, we do not serve three gods. The name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. If one church is correct in its theology, it says, God said, Jesus said, go and baptize them in the name of the Creator and the creature and the thing. No, no, no. The Bible here is talking about three persons, three separate individuals, but one in essence, one in essence, one great Godhead. And the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is not an influence. The Holy Spirit is not a power that God sends to the world. The Holy Spirit is a person, and the coming of the Spirit is the coming of of a person who partakes of the essence of God. Jesus speaks about him in John chapter 14. Jesus talks about him over and over and over again. John chapter 14 and verse 16 and onwards. John chapter 14, 16 and onwards, Jesus said, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So Jesus said, the Spirit of God is going to come. The Counselor is going to come. The Comforter is going to come. And Jesus said, when he comes, I will come. And through the Holy Spirit, I will be with you and I will be in you. And verse, verse 26, verse 26, Jesus said, but he, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. There you have, my friend, the doctrine of the Trinity. The Father, the Father will send the Holy Spirit and he will send him in my name. Once again, you have here the doctrine of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that God sends the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, to come to this world. This divine person leads us to Christ who died for our sins. Would you please come to John chapter 16, verse 7 and onwards. He is the divine person who leads us to Christ who died for our sins. The Holy Spirit did not die for our sins. The Holy Spirit did not shed his blood on the cross because the Holy Spirit doesn't have blood. He is a spirit. Jesus died for our sins, but God the Father sends the Holy Spirit. John chapter 16, verse 7. 
But I tell you the truth. It is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment in regard to sin because men do not believe in me, in regard to righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and in regard to judgment because the prince of this world stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, much more than you can now bear. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak. Speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. Jesus said, It's to our advantage that he should leave this world. How strange these words were to the ears of the disciples. Jesus said, it's to your advantage that I leave this world because when I go, the spirit of truth is going to come. And the spirit of truth is going to convict you of sin and of righteousness and of judgment to come. And he's going to glorify me and he's going to lead you into all truth. Without his ministry... Calvary would be of no avail. The voice that talks to us when we read the Bible and convicts us of sin is the voice of the Spirit of God. When Mrs. Daisy Ward sat in front of the television set and listened to Pastor Vanderman, that man of God, preaching from the Word of God, she became convicted of her need of Christ. That was the Holy Spirit. He convicts of sin. When you come into this meeting and the word of God is preached and a voice talks to your heart, it is the spirit of God convicting you of sin. You won't be saved unless he does. When I was running with Beverly and our team of Australian young people in the Filipino International Conference Center there in the great city of Manila, one night into that vast audience of people came a man bearing a knife. He came to that meeting that night. I've got his letter because he wrote to me. He said, Pastor Carter, I came to this meeting tonight with a knife. I've been tracking a man all day, and tonight I was going to kill him in the meeting. But he said, as you were preaching the word of God, I heard the voice of God. He said, I heard the voice of God. I heard the voice of God. This man came to Christ that night. A man who came to murder came to Christ that night. Not because of this man, but because the Spirit of God was talking through his word. And the Bible says, He, God, the Holy Spirit, this divine person will visit planet Earth in great power in the last days. Let me talk for a moment about the nature of Bible prophecy. Many prophecies have at least two applications. A prophecy has a fulfillment, number one, like Matthew 24, fulfilled in the overthrow of the city of Jerusalem in 70 AD. But that prophecy has a greater fulfillment, which is called the consummation. And the prophecy of Joel that talks about the Spirit of God being poured out, and those wonderful things were fulfilled in the days of Pentecost, when the Spirit of God came in power. But my friend, it's going to happen, and it's going to happen soon. Come over here to Acts chapter 2. It's going to happen again. Acts chapter 2, dear hearts. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. And I want you to notice how this prophecy was fulfilled, dear hearts and gentle people. Acts chapter 2. Please turn to the passage. Acts chapter 2 and verses 1 down to 4. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, that talks about the fulfillment of the prophecy. When the day of Pentecost came, that's 50 days after Passover, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of, of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them began, were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And then verse 14, then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk as you suppose. It is only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will 
prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs in the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of that great and dreadful day of the Lord. And so the Spirit of God comes upon the waiting church. Tongues of fire come down upon the church. This is what is called, my friend, Pentecost. It was a Jewish feast that came 50 days after the Passover when Jesus died, and that was the early rain. And the book of Acts is the story of the coming of the Spirit of God upon the church. What happened back in those days? There was powerful preaching. My friend Spurgeon said, when the church, when the church despises the pulpit, God will despise her. God, my friend, raises up men to preach the word. And God raised up men filled with the Holy Spirit. And I want to tell you too, God raises up women. The Bible says God can raise up women. Just as much as men. Do you think God is any respecter of persons. And so a man stands up and he preaches. He was once a timid, compromising man, a man who was afraid of the, of the sneering voice of a little servant girl. And he stands up and he preaches with power. He's the big fisherman. His name is Peter. What a sermon he preaches. And I want you to notice some of the things he said. Acts chapter 4 and verses 10 and onwards. Acts chapter 4 verse 10 and onwards. Notice the words of this man. Know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. My friend, listen to this. The Spirit of God does not bear witness to himself. The Spirit of God does not magnify himself. Any organization that claims to be filled with the Spirit of God that only talks about the Spirit of God is a cult. The Spirit of God doesn't magnify himself. He magnifies the name of Jesus. And so there was great preaching and there were great baptisms. Uh, after Peter had preached that great Pentecostal sermon, my friend, there were baptisms. You can read about it in the book of Acts, the apostles, which should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And there were 3,000 baptisms in one day. The Spirit of God came upon the disciples and the church was shaken and the world was shaken. And there were miracles. There were miracles. The Bible tells us in the book of Acts that there was a cripple lying at the gate that they called beautiful. And he was begging. And as Peter came along, he begged for money. And Peter said, silver and gold I don't have. But there's something I do have in the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk. And the man who was crippled got up and he walked. Because, my friend, the Spirit of God was working. And when the Spirit of God came at Pentecost... There were miracles, miracles, and miracles. What about miracles? I saw the great disaster. Beverly and I were driving up the Florida Turnpike. In 1986, we saw the space shuttle explode. We actually saw it happen before our eyes. There's something marvelous, my friend, to see those rockets take off. And more recently, Beverly and I were over in Florida. We'd been at some meetings, and they were going to let off an Atlas rocket. So we went to see it. We couldn't get within about five miles, but it was across a lake, so you could see it sitting there. And we waited, and uh, it was delayed. And I thought, is this thing ever going to go? So they put back the clock, and then they started the countdown, and I thought it was going to be delayed again. And I was turning away from the rocket. I wasn't even watching it. But then, my friend, the whole place, miles away it was, started to shake. And everything just was filled with a tremendous light. The rocket came up. What a sight that was. The rocket, my friend, was lifting a spacecraft into orbit or else perhaps sending it on a journey to the stars. 
Listen to this, because this is going to be news to some of you. Miracles are God's rockets given at certain strategic times in the history of the world to get God's space capsule into orbit. God sends miracles at certain times, times of crisis, times of immense significance, and importance. People say, Pastor Carter, don't you know that there are miracles all through the Bible? No, I don't. You don't know that? No. Why don't you know? Well, I've read it. That's why. Miracles are not normative. Hey, you say, but this is not what I see on uh, Trinity Broadcasting, some other organizations and programs that say, expect a miracle, and if you don't get a healing of cancer or something else, God's not there. No, that's not true. Listen, miracles are few and far between in Scripture. Miracles occurred at the Exodus, at the birth of of a nation. God was raising up a nation to bring them aside of the world. And then there came a time of national crisis when it appeared as though the plan of God would be thwarted, when the people of God went into apostasy and God raised up Elijah and Elisha and there are miracles for a little short period of time. Tremendous miracles. But then hundreds and hundreds of years go by and you have a miracle or two such as in the days of Daniel. But you can read through the book of Isaiah and you don't read any miracles and you read very few miracles for literally hundreds and thousands of years until the first coming. And when John the Baptist came, the Bible says John did no miracle. But all that he spoke of this man was true. But John was the greatest miracle. He was a voice crying in the wilderness saying, the Messiah is going to come. But when Jesus came for three and a half years, my friend, there were fireworks and the rockets were exploding because Jesus came, my friend, and he came as the Son of God and to give authority to his message. And to establish the fact that he was the almighty son of God, Jesus healed the sick. He cured the blind. He gave back hearing to the deaf. And Jesus raised the dead. And then, my friend, after his own resurrection, the greatest of all miracles, came Pentecost. And then during the time of Pentecost, my friend, you have miracle, 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 because God, my friend, is starting the church. Miracles are not normative in Scripture. They're given on certain occasions. Now, friend, I fly a lot in planes. There's a big difference between flying a 737 with 6,000 people in it. There's a big difference between flying a 737 than getting on an Atlas rocket. There's a big difference between what is normative and what is super-duper supernatural. Pentecost was super-duper supernatural. And that is what is called the early reign. Miracles are given to add power and authority at certain times of crisis. They are not the rule. They are the exception. But there are exceptions to the exceptions. And God in his mercy and his grace on occasions works a healing. Or some other miracle. I know people who have been forced into depression. Great discouragement because they've had a sickness and they have not been miraculously healed. And they say, there must be something wrong with my faith. No, no, no. There is one famous preacher here in these United States of America who says, once you are under the blood of Christ, you will never get sick. 
You cannot get sick. He said, if your children get sick, it's because they're under a curse. People send him millions, hundreds of millions to avoid the curse. What he is teaching is not the word of God. It is a false gospel. It is a part of the prosperity gospel. But my friend, the Bible teaches miracles. And they come at certain times according to the sovereign will of God. But they are not normative. Read your Bible. You'll find that this is so. And I can give you an illustration of this. Would you come to 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 20? 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 20. And listen to these words. This book is written many, many years after Pentecost. And a number of years after Pentecost, you don't read of any more miracles in the church because God had already sent up the rocket. He didn't need it. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 20. Erastus stayed in Corinth and I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Here we have, my friend, the prince of the apostles, the greatest preacher, the greatest scholar, a man who did many, many wonderful miracles. But on this occasion, he had a man whose name was Trophimus, uh, who was a saint of God, and he leaves him there sick. Why didn't he heal him? Because God would teach his people to walk by faith and not by sight. And to trust in fact and not in feeling, my friend. God is in this meeting today, even though people are not throwing wheelchairs in the aisles. And I want to say to those who find this a difficult doctrine to believe, in those so-called healings that have gripped America like nothing else, how many glass eyes have you heard about that have been replaced? How many glass eyes? How many genuine healings that last and that survive the scrutiny of doctors not many there is something scary even horrifying about mass meetings that i believe in when people are whipped into a religious frenzy but most of them the following day suffer depression and they've said to me, and one great preacher who's famous for this went on television, he said, I've got to have it every day. He said, I've got to talk in tongues. He said, I'm addicted to it. And if I don't have it, he said, I become terribly depressed. And so his life is up and down, up and down. The Bible says, walk with me. Walk with me. God would save his people from the delusion of fanaticism up one day, down the next. God says, walk with me and walk with me in faith. And having said all that, I want to remind you that on occasions, God in his sovereign will does miraculously heal people who've got cancer. Now the Bible says there is coming the latter rain. The Bible says the first coming saw the early rain at Pentecost. But before the second coming comes the latter rain. When the final message goes to the world that is described in Revelation 18 and Revelation chapter 14. What is going to happen at the latter rain? What happened just after the first coming will be repeated on a worldwide scale with greater power just before the second coming. Pentecost was the early reign, the supernatural manifestation by the Spirit of God in the last days is the latter reign. The early reign 
commence the church, the latter rain will finish the church and prepare the world for the harvest. At that time, listen carefully to this, at that time, God is going to raise up spirit-filled preachers, men and women, hear this, men and women with the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I've had people come to me and they say, what do you think about the ordination of women? I say something which is quite controversial. I say, as far as I'm concerned, it's a non-issue. If God calls a woman to preach, she doesn't need the approval of the brethren to start preaching. Go ahead and preach. Just go ahead and do it. Go ahead and do it. As one of your great poets said, Christ the Son of God hath sent me all the widespread lands, mine the mighty ordination of the Nile-pierced hands. And if a woman is raised up by God and filled with the Holy Spirit and anointed by the Holy Spirit, she has the ordination of the nail-pierced hands. Don't go looking for worldly recognition. Just do it. So he's going to raise up men and women with the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And those preachers are not going to be timid men-pleasers. They're not going to be religious politicians who have grown fat sitting on committees. They're not going to be men who follow the teachings of men, but they're going to be men who follow the teachings of God. They're not going to be taught necessarily necessarily by earthly institutions, but they're going to be taught by the Spirit of God. They're going to be humble people who are not too proud to walk with God. Ellen White, whom I appreciate and admire and respect, says God is going to do a work in the last days and people are going to find it hard to understand. She says the Spirit of God is going to be poured out upon all around the church and there are going to be people sitting in the church saying, what's going on? haven't got a clue what's going on. She says that people who are the leaders now are not going to be the leaders then. God is going to take people and take them from the plow. He's going to take farmers. He's going to take unlettered people. He's going to take scholars. He's going to take his people and he's going to fill them to the top. God has always had his men and women filled with the Spirit of God. They've always been persecuted, misunderstood, and maligned. Martin Luther, who stood alone against the great apostate church who gave us the great belief in the Bible and the Bible alone and established the doctrine of Protestantism and the priesthood of all believers and who said that a man is accountable to God. Hated, but God's man. My favorite person in history, well, I have many of them, but perhaps my favorite person, most favorite person is John Wesley, five foot four, a little Englishman, a scholar who went to Oxford University, Oxford man, preaching at four o'clock and five o'clock, six o'clock in the morning, preaching all day, preaching to the, to the miners as they went to work. The church didn't care about them, but God raised up this little Anglican divine who rode 360,000 miles on the back of a horse and preached 42,000 sermons unrecognized by the church, persecuted by the church, slandered by the church, a man who uplifted Jesus like few men and women, harassed by the hierarchy. On one occasion, John Wesley was preaching outside his own parish and a fat bishop caught him. He couldn't go around 360,000 miles on the back of a horse the Queen Mary would have had a job carrying him. And he said to Mr. Wesley in his pomposity, and the curse of hierarchies is that it breeds an attitude of religious superiority and pomposity that God despises. And said the big man to the little man, Mr. Wesley, you're not wanted here. Go back to your own parish. And John Wesley said, my Lord Archbishop, my parish is the world. 
and I will preach where God has called me to preach. And the bishop just about died as he pushed some snuff up his nose. Go back to your own parish, Mr. Wesley. You're not wanted here. My Lord Archbishop, my parish is the world. Then I think of a courageous prophet of God, an American prophetess, Alan White, and two young upstart preachers, Jones and Wagner, at Minneapolis. There they were preaching the gospel and all the general conference men against them. The general conference president, Elder Butler, sent a message, reject the message they're preaching. Alan White said Christ was crucified at Minneapolis by those men. Persecuted, slandered, derided because those men did not know the gospel. And when a person doesn't know the gospel, he hates the preachers of the gospel. And they said, we have never made any mistakes and we never will. Ellen White said, you can read what she said to them. That courageous little prophet of God who came and stood at their side and stared them down and won the battle. You see, she was a Protestant. She believed in uplifting Christ and his righteousness and she didn't suffer fools gladly. God has his men and women today. One of the greatest men of the 20th century was HMS Richards, senior. Great preacher of righteousness. He started the voice of prophecy with a lot of persecution. Many of the greatest preachers have been unrecognized. So God, during the time of the latter reign, is going to go and choose his men. And he'll do it as he pleases. Because after all is said and done, he is God. Multitudes are going to come to Christ. We're going to see millions come to Christ. And some are going to be saying, what's going on? What's, what is this all about? Boy, did they get our permission? Did those people get our permission to be saved? You mean to say they're going to heaven and we never gave them our permission? That's disgusting. We've got to stop this. Um, would you come over here to Revelation 18 and verse 1, please? Revelation chapter 18 and verse 1. After this I saw another angel coming down from heaven. He had great authority. And the earth was illuminated by his splendor. With a mighty voice, he shouted. This message is called the loud cry. And it goes forth with latter rain power. And the Bible says the earth is lightened with the glory of God. And multitudes will come to Christ. And I think I've got a text that proves it. Come here to Revelation 7, please, and verse 9. Revelation 7, verse 9 says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. So here is a picture of a great multitude that no person can number out of every tribe and nation under the sun. And notice how they're described, please. Verse 13 and 14. Then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, where are they from? Where do they come from? Who are they? I answered, sir, you know. And he said, these are they who've come out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Listen, the great tribulation takes place right here as the message of God is going to the world, my friend, as God is sending up the rockets. There is a time of trouble such as never was. There is a great tribulation. And God is going to have a people come out of that great tribulation and there are a multitude that no person can number. 
Listen, they're going to come from everywhere. They're going to come from England and Cambridge and Oxford. They're going to come from Europe, from Spain, from Italy, from Germany, from Hungary, from Russia and Ukraine and China and India and Bangladesh. Garwin and Mary Lee McNeilis, listen to me. They're going to come by the multitudes from Dhaka and Bangladesh. God is going to bring those people. You see, God is colorblind. He doesn't care about your color. If you're all tied up on color, whether you're black or white, you've got a problem and you don't know Christ. Amen. Hear this? Whether you're an Hispanic or a black person or a white person, I don't care who you are, but if you're tied up in color, it's because you're not tied up with Christ. And the Bible says God is going to have a multitude come in. And they're going to come from Cuba. And they're going to come from the land of the United States of America. And they're going to come from that wonderful part of the Commonwealth. Canada, and they're going to come from the Caribbean, they're going to come from Chile, and Mexico, and Brazil, and Argentina, and Australia, all of Latin America, and they're going to come from where the Eskimos are, and they're going to come from the South Pacific Islands, they're going to come from Egypt, and Israel, and Iraq, and Baghdad, and Iran, and Africa. God is going to have a multitude. Ellen White asked the question, who will be the leaders then? God will work as he chooses. He'll move in ways that are not bound by our silly, narrow-minded little restrictions. God's plans are much bigger than ours. And when God works, God will work because after all is said and done, he is God, you see. He can do it, you see. He's really in charge. And the Bible says at the same time, there's going to be a counterfeit. Revelation 13 says that the great dragon, the great beast, the beast that looks like a lamb, the Bible says, you want to see it? All right then, come on. Come over here fast. Come over here to Revelation chapter 13. I was going to skip that one because I'm just moving along. Revelation 13, verse 11 and onwards, and I'm glad to have a church that is addicted to turning up the text. It's the best addiction you can get. Revelation 13, verse 11, Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. He exercised all the authority of the first beast on his behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. And he performed great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. The Antichrist, my friend, is going to bring down fire. God is going to bring down fire. He's going to bring down the fire of the Holy Spirit. God is going to bring down the fire of the latter rain. The Antichrist is going to say, anything you can do, I can do better. So he's going to bring down fire. And the Bible says in the last days, there's going to be great preaching and the word of God is going to be preached and the true gospel is going to be preached and the law of God is going to be exalted. And the Bible says there are going to be miracles. There are going to be signs. There are going to be wonders as God, my friend, works with tremendous power and sends up the rockets. And the Bible says the Antichrist is going to counterfeit the work of God. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it talks about the Antichrist and it says with all counterfeit signs and wonders. There are going to be healings. Amazing things are going to happen and people are going to be deceived. The Bible says... They're deceived because they don't believe the truth. They're people who believe lies. People into gossip. No people like that? They're gullible people. They believe anything. They believe any letter. They just believe anything. So they believe lies. And they've got in the habit of believing lies. And because they have lived a lie and because they have believed lies and because they cannot even lie straight in bed, because they lie, they're going to believe the big one. How can you tell the difference? Jesus said, by their fruits you'll know them. Jesus talked about the false prophets in Matthew chapter 7. And Jesus said, by their fruits you'll know them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will inherit the kingdom of heaven. But the person who does the will of my Father in heaven, wake up church. 
Do not believe every preacher, every charlatan, every religious leader. Jesus said, he who does the will of my Father. That is why I urge you week after week, have you heard it yet? Read your Bible every day. Don't follow me. Don't follow any earthly organization, but read your Bible every day. Don't trust in your emotions, but trust in the Word of God. Don't be sucked into it and become just an emotional, naive, gullible churchgoer who believes anything and who loves the philosophy, I'm okay, you're okay. Isn't it warm and fuzzy here in church today? Aren't we having a wonderful time? Doesn't the preacher make us feel good? There's a lot of garbage. I want a preacher who gets me to heaven. You can have all the other fringe benefits. You can have all the fuzzy, wuzzy feelings. They're not going to be that fuzzy and wuzzy when you're burning up in hell. I want to know the truth. And I want to be saved by the truth. Now listen. We are living in the time when God is about to let off a few rockets. When God is about to work with special power. I can tell you folks something and I say this humbly. I can say this humbly. I have tasted the latter rain. Some of you folks don't know what I'm talking about today because you're living such narrow, silly little lives. You've never got in contact with the power of God. I have tasted it. I say it humbly. I saw it in Gorky. In 92, I saw latter rain power. I saw it, my friend, in 95 in the Ukraine with thousands, tens of thousands coming to God. The Spirit of God working in the miracles, even people getting healed as I was preaching. I've seen it. I know it. And I haven't seen anything yet. God has greater things in store for the world and his elect chosen people. And my prayer should be, I will be, Lord, what you want me to be. I will go, Lord, where you send me to go. I will be a person of the book. I will follow Christ and his word. I will stand for the truth that the heavens fall. I need to be washed in the blood of Jesus. Does God give the latter rain to people because they're sinless and perfect? No. Be a bad outlook for the world. He gives it because of Christ. The latter rain is given to the people of God, not because they're good enough, but because in Christ... They are reckoned sinless and righteous and God gives the Spirit of God to them not because they're good enough but because it's the gift of God. Therefore, my prayer should be, I will be, dear Lord, what you want me to be. I'll go where you want me to go and I will read my Bible every day. I will keep God's commandments most importantly, I want the blood of Jesus applied to my life because I am a sinner. And I have sinned and stumbled and I want the blood of Jesus applied. And I want to be faithful in keeping the commandments of God, including the Sabbath. Moody said there's been a terrible letting down of the Sabbath in this country and many a man has been shorn like Samson of spiritual power because he wasn't straight on this question. I want to be God's man doing God's work in God's way with God's spirit. What about you? Will you say that today? Will you say to God today, I want to be God's man, I want to be God's woman? Will you raise your hand if you can say that today? Lift it up real high. I will be, Lord, what you want me to be. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll stay where you want me to stay. But I want today to put myself into your hands so that God can fill me with the Holy Spirit 
so that we can see multitudes come to Christ and be saved in heaven with us. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please kneel. Our Father, we thank you today that there's victory ahead for the people of God. We thank you that as we stand in the time of the harvest, God is going to walk and work in extraordinary ways. He may go past ordinary recognized channels and he may pick up this man off a farm. This young woman, he may put his spirit upon her and make her a great preacher. But he will choose those people who in their hearts are true to you. And our Father, we want to be those people today. Our prayer today is, Lord, we will be what you want us to be. We want you to wash us in the blood of Jesus. Wash this poor, sinful preacher. Wash us in the blood of Jesus. Oh, we're glad today that the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And that he who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out, said the master. Then our Father, grant us an infilling of latter rain power to witness for you. Bless the coming of these meetings. Some think we're standing alone, but no, we have the support of the Lord God of heaven, all the angels, as well as a hundred churches outside this conference who are supporting us. Even a television station has come on board besides 3ABN, and the people of God are hearing the voice of the shepherd. We thank you for it, Lord. We thank you that when God says it's time for the tide to come in, nobody can stop the tide. And that we can build our little castles on the beach and think that's going to hold back the water. But man-made castles cannot stop the tide from coming in. And surely, Lord, it's time for the tide to turn, for the tide to come in. Bless this congregation, put them under the blood, and give them a dedication. Give them a dedication to be faithful to you, faithful in Sabbath-keeping, to respect the Sabbath because of the Lord of the Sabbath. And, oh, God, I've said it a thousand times in this church, at least it seems that way, but convict every person in this church of the necessity of daily Bible reading. May this church become a Bible-reading church. Now, Lord, if some folks have heard that a thousand times and they're not doing it, it's because they haven't been convicted by you. So, Lord, please convict them. Bless the children here today. Thank you for these beautiful little children who came down the front. Bless them and bless their mums and their dads. We praise you. Bless the congregation today with your spirit, forgiveness of sins, joy and peace and life everlasting for Jesus sake amen